Hello, and welcome back to The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kamkwamba and Brian Mueller. We're going to read chapter 12, Bigger and Brighter. As I explained to Rose, without wind, there was no light. On calm, still nights, we were stuck in the dark with our kerosene lanterns. The only way to change this was by finding a car battery. But until one came along, I found other uses for the windmill, like charging mobile phones. I discovered this when my cousin Ruth visited from Mizuzu. Ruth was Uncle Socrates' oldest daughter, who was married and had a good job. She also had a cell phone. She was always bugging me to charge down at the trading center. Some guys in the market were making loads of money charging phones for people who had no electricity in their homes. They cut deals with shopkeepers who allowed them to run long extension cords to the roadside where they set up a little stall. They sold scratch cards with airtime minutes and some even had mobile phones that people could use to make calls like a payphone. I later discovered that these kinds of stalls are found all over Africa. In bigger cities such as Nairobi and Kinshasa, some guys even power photocopiers and computers and printers this way, letting people prepare their work resumes and call about jobs, all on the sidewalk. Of course, the frequent blackouts in these cities were never good for business. Anyway, one day I was complaining about having to take Ruth's phone to the trading center when she said, why don't you charge it with your windmill? It produces electricity, right? I had already considered this, but the dynamo didn't generate enough voltage to power a phone. It produced 12 volts, which was fine for light bulbs and smaller things when a charger needed 220. If you remember, while testing the radio, I discovered that energy decreases when it passing through the wire over long distances. But to charge a phone, I'd need something to boost the power, something called a step-up transformer. Electric companies across the world, especially in Europe and America, step up power all the time because electricity gets lost on the journey from the power station to your home. The company installs transformers along the way that add extra boost. It's like giving your electricity some coffee and donuts to keep it going. A step-up transformer has two coils, the primary and secondary, located on either side of a core. Alternating current flows back and forth and causes the primary coil to induce a charge in the second coil. This process is called mutual induction, which means that voltage from one coil jumps into another. The result is that overall voltage increases. I learned this from explaining physics in a chapter entitled Mutual Induction and Transformers which showed a picture of a man with white hair and a bow tie. (laughs) This was Michael Faraday, who invented the first transformer in 1831. Cheers to that guy, I thought. Using the diagrams, I was determined to make my own step-up transformer. First, I borrowed a pair of wire cutters and cut an iron sheet into a capital E pattern. 
The diagram showed how to boost 24 volts into 220. It explained how voltage increased with each turn of the wire, how the primary coil needed 200 turns, while the secondary needed 2,000. Next, it was a bunch of mathematical equations, but I paid them no mind. I started rapping like mad and hoped it worked. I then connected the dynamo wires to the primary coil, while the secondary coil was wired directly to the prongs of a phone charger. Ruth stood over me, eyebrows raised. Don't blow it up, she said. I lied. I know what I'm doing. When I plugged in the phone jack, the screen brightened and the bars began moving up and down. It worked. See, I told you. To make things easier, I built, built a plug using the AC outlet from an old radio, which I'd fixed into the wall like a normal electric socket. When the news of this invention reached the trading center, the line of people wanting to charge their phones reached the road. Many people who came still pretended not to believe me, probably in hopes that I wouldn't charge them money. They said, are you sure this electric wind can charge my phone? I'm positive. Prove it. See, it charges. My God, you're right, but leave it for a little longer. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> After two months of using this method, I finally went bigger. I was over at Charities one day and spotted an actual car battery sitting in the corner. I found it yesterday on the road, he said. Just pay me when you can. From studying my books, I knew that car batteries used DC power. So if I wanted to charge it using my dynamo, which spit out AC power, I'd have to find a way to convert it. My book talked about diodes, or rectifiers, which are found in many radios and electric devices, and convert this power for you. The kind of diode I needed looked like a tiny D-cell battery along a long metal skewer, on a long metal skewer. The sight of it reminded me of the smoked mice kebabs that boys sold along the highway as snacks. After studying the picture, I easily found one inside an old six volt radio in Jeffrey's room. I fashioned a soldering, salt soldering iron from a piece of heated cable, then fused the diode to the wire between the windmill and car battery. Kamkwamba, I thought to myself, you are one clever chap but not so fast because doing this created a new kind of problem. The phone charging plug in my wall only worked with AC power. I puzzled over this for several days and searched every book for the answer. Finally, my cousin Ruth solved it in the simplest of ways. She gave me a phone charger that plugs inside your car, one that uses DC power. After making some modifications to the wires, I had a new wall jack. With the phone charger out of the way, I now focused on the bigger task of lighting. 
Armed with the car battery, I was able to install three additional bulbs in the house. I couldn't use normal incandescent bulbs because they only work with AC power, so I had to find alternatives. At Mr. Dwout's shop, I found three car bulbs, a brake light and two front headlights. I kept the dynamo, dynamo bulb in my room, which worked on both AC and DC power. I installed one car bulb above my door outside, one in my parents' bedroom and another in the living room. When the battery was fully charged, the lights could work for three days without wind. The bulbs connected directly to the battery with wires and operated on a parallel current, I mean circuit. I learned about this from explaining physics, which demonstrated two kinds of circuits, parallel and series. In a series circuit, one wire connects every bulb to the battery or whatever power source you're using in a single path. To complete the circuit, all of the bulbs need to be working. If one burns out, then none of them will work. Some types of Christmas lights used to be this way. Where several bulbs have to be powered by a single battery, as in a car lighting system, the book explained, the usual practice is to connect the bulbs in parallel. The book showed how the homes in Britain are wired this way. Each bulb is connected with separate wires and has its own circuit. If one bulb burns out, the rest will still work. It went on to say that bulbs arranged in parallel can have, an in, ha, can have independent switches. A diagram on the next page illustrated the basic design for a light switch. It seemed easy enough, so I built my own using bicycle spokes and strips of iron. For the toggles or switch, I wanted a good non-conductive material that I could shape the way I wanted. So taking my knife, I carved out several round buttons from a pair of old flip-flops, then mounted them inside small boxes I had made from melted PVC pipe. I rigged my switch like I had seen in the books, with a wire leading from the power supply to the bulb and the switch in between to complete or break the circuit. It was simple. Whenever I pushed the flip-flop button, the spoke and iron connected the terminals. Finally, I said, I can touch the wall and get light. Not long after wiring the house, <coughs> excuse me, I walked into the living room one night and found my family sitting together. My mother was busy crocheting a beautiful orange tablecloth while my father and sisters were engrossed in a news program on Radio One. I pretended to be one of the reporters and barged in with my microphone, speaking in a deep, serious voice. I'm standing in the living room of the Honorable Mr. Kamkwamba. Sir, this room used to be so dark and sad at this hour. Now look at you, enjoying electricity like a city person. Oh, my father said, smiling, enjoying it more, more than a city person. You mean because there are no blackouts and you owe ESCOM nothing? Well, yes, he said, but also because my own son made it. We'll stop there and finish the chapter later.